Welcome to Adventure Stock. This is Amanda, and I'm going to be talking a bit today about our trip to Half Dome last year. Uh, last year we did some time out in the Sierras, and we hiked Mount Whitney, and then a couple days later, we ended Half Dome. So buckle up and get ready for what might be, for me, one of the scariest experiences of my life, because I don't like heights. So I hope you're looking forward to learning a little bit about Half Dome from the perspective of a first-time Half Dome hiker. While I'm a well-experienced hiker, this was our first time hiking Half Dome in the Sierras. I had been to Yosemite a few times when I was a kid and remember camping and doing some of the waterfalls and things like that. But obviously Half Dome, maybe not the greatest place to take young children especially those as rambunctious as my brother and I were back in the day. So it was really exciting when we were able to get Half Dome permits. And uh, if, if you don't know about the permit lottery system, you go in through recreation.gov and file for a permit when the lottery window opens. And then every now and then you can pick up permits that are abandoned or canceled by their lottery winners. And uh, that's essentially what happened with us is we managed to find a day just like the day after we did our Whitney hike. Well, technically, our permit was for two days after we did our Whitney summit. Um, so we managed to find a permit for a day two days after. And then we also got backcountry permits so that we could drive over to Yosemite, hike in, camp in the backcountry, and then do our half dome summit the next morning as early as possible little bit of background on half dome itself um so this is in yosemite national park which is an absolutely gorgeous park if you haven't been there i highly recommend but please be aware there are a lot of crowds and the best time to hike half dome is listed as april through october that's when you're most likely to have good, decent footing, um, low incidence of ice and such on the mountainside. So just being aware to watch the weather and the time of year when you go. They also do take down the cables in the off season. Now some more adventurous mountaineering types or rock climbers may decided to risk the, the half dome ascent without the cables. But obviously for us, that is not something we were wanting to do. I do not like heights. It is not something I enjoy. I actually get a decent level of nerves, even just mountain hiking. And when you get onto a ledge, that is a little bit tricky. But it's something that, you know, when, whenever you get an opportunity to overcome something that makes you uncomfortable, I think it's important to do that. So we decided to go and we were there in August, which was a really beautiful time to hike. And it's, it's a pretty rigorous day hike. People do it in a day. We chose to do an overnight because we had just done Whitney the day before and really wanted to enjoy our time in Yosemite and not just be focused on completing the hike. So it's a rigorous day hike or an adventurous overnight. Um, you do have to get a backcountry permit if you're going to camp at the backpackers camp overnight. So make sure you don't skip out on that and make sure you check in at the ranger station before you head up to uh, pick up your permit and make sure everything's all checked and ticked and tied. And 
and it's essentially a big out and back from the Happy Isles trailhead. It is not quite a loop, but could sort of be considered a loop because there's a way to loop around some of the trails and get a slightly different experience on the way up and back, which is what we did. But yeah, it's 14 to 17 miles, depending on which route you take. About 5,200 feet in elevation gain, so that's 1,585 meters. And it's an out and back with an overnight at Little Yosemite Valley is what we did, which is the backpackers camp. We went in early August with clear skies on day one and a prediction for afternoon thunderstorms on day two. Now, if you listen to our Mount Whitney experience, you will understand the importance of keeping an eye on the weather when you are hiking out in the mountains. Afternoon thunderstorms are a very normal thing, and you need to be prepared for that and plan your trip accordingly and your gear accordingly. So our total hiking miles in early August, um, according to all trails, was 16 miles. Uh, We took it fairly leisurely. There were a lot of crowds in the lower part of the trails when we got there. Um, We got there around mid-morning and just packed our stuff up and started a little bit of a slow slog through the crowds up past all the swimming area. Not really swimming, but we'll get to that later. But past all that um, and up once you get past kind of the big pools and waterfalls, it clears out a lot and there's a set of toilets up there after the toilets. It's just backpackers really. So we, our total hiking time for both days was about 11 hours for that 16 miles. And again, like I said, we were going pretty leisurely, especially on the way up. And then, uh, total elevation gain was 5,250 feet. That's on Garmin. So that's ups and downs and elevation, et cetera. Um, and the cables were in really good condition in early August. They were uncrowded. We went first thing in the morning to try to ascend by sunrise. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like I did pretty okay. I overcame my fear of heights, or rather it's more like a fear of falling with minimal whimpering and whining. So that was a great experience for me. Um, We'll start out just a little bit on when you first drive into Yosemite, and I can't express enough the beauty of the light in Yosemite National Park. If you get there on a good, clear, beautiful day with minimal smoke from wildfires, we had a little teeny bit of haze, but it wasn't really bad. Um, It's just something about the light out there is almost ultra-worldly. It's like things glow. It's really beautiful. Um, And then you have the aspect of like the light off of the waterfalls and the rainbows. And it's it's really just something to behold. It's gorgeous. There's kind of something unquantifiable about it. It's one of the last great stanchions of natural beauty that's left out there for the enjoyment of the people. So you'll you'll enter the valley along the Wawona Road from the west. That's the direction that we were coming in from. And it's totally worth pulling off and kind of fighting through the crowds to take a few minutes at the Tunnel View parking area and kind of just watch the light for a little bit, take a few photos, uh, step aside for other people to get their photos in. But 
just take a few minutes to kind of look at what you're about to get into. The view from the Tunnel View parking area will give you kind of an all-encompassing view of the famous features of the park. Um, you can see the big scarred face of El Capitan, which is 7,573 feet or 2,300 meters um, tall. And that is, you know, a really famous rock climber's achievement is to get up El Cap. And uh, for me, that would be an absolute nightmare. And shout out to all you rock climbers out there who are ballsy enough to take that on. Uh, not my thing, but I will cheer you on a thousand percent from a safe place with my feet firmly planted on the ground. <laughs> and then over to the side across from El Cap, you'll kind of see Bridal Veil Falls with misty rainbows and you can kind of hear the roar of it if the air is really clear and, you know, far off in the distance, you can see just peeking over that big bulb pate of half dome. And so I'm looking at this thing with my little fear of falling going, Oh gosh, surely that's what we're doing. All right, let's, let's go. But half dome, you know, kind of roars over the valley at about 8,800 feet, so that's 2,600 meters at its peak. It's not the tallest in the Sierras. You know, that's Mount Whitney. That's the tallest in the lower 48. And we had done that the day before, so half dome, no big deal, no problem. Um, but <laughs> the, the unique thing about the half dome hike is you kind of span all aspects of hiking, here in the United States, where you start out and you're on like a nice asphalt path, and then you have these weird like stone stairs that were engineered and put together, and then kind of head off onto dirt pack, and that's great. And then all of a sudden you're semi-rock climbing holding onto cables. So <laughs> that's the unique thing about the half dome hike, is you truly do get all of the features of what you could really get to hike on here in the U.S. Um, so if somebody just has a few days in the United States and you're looking for an epic hike that kind of gets you a little bit of everything, I, I think that this is a really great one to try to get permits for. It's kind of a crossover experience between trail hiking and rock climbing or bouldering. Um, not that I've done much of either of those things because, again, the falling thing, but it's, it's a unique experience. Um, most of the 14 to 17 mile or 22 to 28 kilometer round trip hike is spent on pretty well-marked, somewhat challenging trails that wind up from the floor of the valley. Um, there's Supposed to be about 4,800 feet in elevation gain. As I said, we had 5,250 tracked on my Garmin. Now, I assume that's with a lot of up and down, like, little steps that were counted in there. And um, I would probably just guesstimate around 5,000 feet of elevation gain between all of the estimates that are out there. There's that highly competitive permit lottery that is held annually in March by the Park Service, that awards summit dates to eager hikers, and that permit is required to summit to the peak. So I can't tell you enough, don't start heading out to try to summit this without your permit. They will check for your permit. 
So if, if you really want to do this and you don't manage to pull a permit, you can hike up to the base of Half Dome, but you can't really go much further because um, the rangers will check for your permits. So to get to the peak from the subdome, uh, there's a 400 foot or 122 meters of cable length. Now these cables are uh, steel rods with um, wire cables strung through them. The steel rods are not fully secured into the face of the rock. They're kind of set in there. We'll get into all that later, but just being aware. And yeah, it's, it's heavily policed by the rangers. They want to make sure people aren't damaging the landscape and they want to monitor overcrowding at the summit. This has been a real problem in the past from some of the reading I've done on Half Dome prepping for this is you'll get, you know, in the past before they started really heavily leaning on this permit system, you'd have a couple hundred people stuck on those cables, some of them freaking out because of a fear of heights or falling, and people end up getting frozen, which creates a dangerous situation. So they're very strict about the permits. Um, you have to carry it with you. Don't leave it at the backpacker camp. Make sure you always have it in your pack and always recommend you have the electronic copy as well as a hard copy in like a baggie in case something happens to your phone. As you're prepping to hike Half Dome, in addition to monitoring the permit lottery and getting, looking for good dates that might fit your travel plans or permits to become available after people have to drop their plans, um, the thing you want to do is make sure that you're focusing on your physical fitness. So this trek does recommend a high level of physical fitness. Again, I, I don't know that it's necessarily because of the incline. You know, 5,000 feet of elevation gain isn't that crazy over that many miles, but um, it's more the change up in terrain. You want to uh, really focus on the trail conditions, um, focus on the different types of terrain you're going to be having. Like I said, there's a lot of steps at the beginning of the trail and then even climbing that half dome face, like working on ankle mobility and uh, making sure that your legs and joints are really ready for that is super important. If you have bad ankles like I do, you may want to tape them before heading up the wall. But uh, overall, I mean, I think as long as you just focus a bit on ankle mobility and uh, being able to kind of hyper flex that ankle, you know, toes back towards shin as uh, far as you can working on that, I think is really critical and uh, working on your Achilles flexion. So gear that you'll want to take, that's totally dependent on the duration of the hike. And some folks opt to stay overnight in the backcountry, which is what we did. Some people want to do out and back in a single day. Uh, I, I feel like for us, our goal was to have a great experience on the summit. So we wanted to get up early and be some of the first folks up the cables versus if you go later in the day, you might run into crowds and uh, it's going to get really hot and there's a higher chance of you getting stuck in a thunderstorm, which is highly not recommended when grabbing onto steel cables on the side of a granite face at 8,000 some odd hundred Feet. So again, just plan your gear around whether you're going to do an overnight or try to do a single day. You'll want 
any of your standard mapping devices, you know, if you use all trails or something like that. Um, but then always make sure you carry a map and compass just in case you do get off the trail, have a good understanding of orienteering. This is, you know, the, the trail's pretty well marked and there's usually enough people to kind of help guide you at least back to the backpackers camp. And then from there you can easily find your way back down. But there's always the chance of taking a wrong turn somewhere and, you know, accidentally following a deer trail or something. So just always, always, always hiking rule, have a map and compass and know how to use them. Water is an absolute must and plenty of ability to sanitize water as needed. We always just carry a little pack of tablets for emergency. There is a place to fill water at the river, and then there's a couple places along a more populated trail to fill water. But um, just always a good idea to carry some sanitation, sanitization for your water kit. Uh, snacks, of course. Snacks are always highly recommended by anybody who has hiked anywhere, anytime, ever before. Snacks are half the fun of hiking. So make sure that you plan for some good, easily digestible snacks, especially if you're going to be hiking in hot weather. You're going to want to take things that taste good, digest easily, and give you good energy. Some people like to do a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a few just packed up. Um, we always like to carry some Cliff Blocks chews, you know, simple, easy way to get your electrolytes, caffeine, and sugar in one quick little bite, sometimes hiking out west, your appetite can be suppressed by the physical exertion as well as any heat and dryness. You might not feel like eating, but you still need to. Bear spray is also recommended. There are a lot of black bear out there. We, we saw some on the trail, so um, just making sure if you are carrying food that you also carry bear spray. And... Yeah, I, I think that as far as gear goes, just plan it around your overnight or out and back. Obviously, if you're going out and back, you're probably not going to take any um, camping equipment, but you may want a little emergency blanket or something like that just in case. And I'll roll through that a little bit more as we get on the trail here. I have an outline written out, kind of a cool little article I put together on hiking Half Dome for the first time. So we'll get into some further details about the hike and the trail itself. So hikers coming from the Yosemite Valley, you'll catch the trail at Happy Isles. So that's where there are a ton of casual day visitors who are hanging out and enjoying the lower falls. Um, they will certainly give you a little side eye as you kind of push through, especially if you're doing an overnight and you're carrying a big pack. Um, we got some definite looks when we were rolling through the casual day visitors with our fully loaded packs, trekking poles, and uh, hardcore boots. Um, you do, I think, get a level up awarded if you are on a through hike of the JMT and you're blessing this area with your 15 trek day long odor and grime as you wander through these crowds of super clean people. <laughs> uh, it was just funny, the side eyes that we got as we kind of trucked through these folks. There were a lot of uh, kind of, if, if you are a serious hiker, I think you'll understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to insult anyone, but there were definitely a lot of casual day visitors who sort of didn't know what was up with um, kind of standing off to one side or not blocking 
the trail or, um, you know, kind of doing things that are not necessarily very observant. We had, we saw people like jumping off the trail to like walk through the underbrush to like get a better Instagram picture with a waterfall and they're like damaging the plant species as they're walking through there. Like the, the rangers are pretty strict about stay on the trails. Um, you could significantly damage potentially endangered species of plant or uh, damage the home and environment of some animals that live there. So don't go off the trail. Um, it's, it's also, if, if you do see people trucking through and you, you're casually visiting, which is perfectly great. And I, I do that at different national parks, you know, you might go to one site that you're not necessarily going to hike into and you're just like wanting to take some pictures and experience that area. Um, just be aware that if, if folks are trucking through with a fully loaded pack and gear, maybe step out of the way a little bit and let them pass. Um, we got held up a lot just waiting for people to realize that, you know, we're trying to get through. Um, and obviously we had a goal in mind of getting to camp and getting set up. So just, I think, having some uh, grace for visitors of all kinds and what their goals might be. Uh, so that first part was pretty crowded and it's asphalt for the most part in the bottom like mile or mile and a half. Um, and right at the Merced River, the trail splits and that's about a mile from the Happy Isles trailhead and there's a water fill station there. So you can opt there to travel up by the John Muir Trail, um, the JMT, or for or you can like split off to the Mist Trail um, for a little variety. Either route can be fairly crowded in the first sections, and you have the opportunity to see the water features of Vernal and Nevada Falls, which are pretty popular and the reason that these areas are so full of casual day visitors. Uh, the JMT and this trails meet back up near a compost toilet that's at about 6,000 feet over the Merced River in Nevada Falls. Um, so that's kind of the compost toilet that's right at the crux of those two trails. That's kind of where it splits back further and heads to the backpacker camp. So past those compost toilets, there's almost no crowd. We were reading some reviews on the trail and how to best do this because, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of nerds for getting the most out of our experience and we kind of wanted to do both trail sections and uh, experienced loop hikers were saying depending on the season and the trail conditions the best way to go about it would be going up the JMT to the mist trail take the mist trail and then rejoin the JMT and then when you come back down you just stay on the JMT the whole way so the idea with that is that the switchbacks on the JMT side can be pretty grueling to go up, but on the way back down, they're a huge relief on your knees. And the uneven stone stairs on the mist trail are kind of a cool challenge to do on the way up, and it'll give you better variety in the views. There's really great views of the waterfalls going up the mist trail, um, but the stone steps, if you tried to come back down that way, which some people do, it's just 
exhausting on your knees and ankles to have these uneven stone steps that you're trying to get down. And depending on the trail conditions, if it's raining or slippery or anything, it can, it can be pretty sketchy coming down those stone steps. So doing it this way, we, like I said, we went up from the JMT, went up the mist trail and then recaught the JMT and then coming back down, we just came down the whole way down the JMT. And if you look at the trail on all trails, that'll make sense. It's kind of like a little loop within the trail itself. Following that JMT, Miss Trail JMT route up, once the trail opens up above Vernal Falls, you come to Emerald and Silver Apron Pools, which are lovely names. And they're beautiful pools. They're like carved by water waterfalls into the big granite shelf that sits above Vernal Falls. And they are heavily marked. It's, this is the little rule follower in me like laughing at this. They are heavily marked with signage that swimming is prohibited. And um, most people absolutely ignore that. In fact, I would say half the people hiking up here that were crowding that lower part we're just immediately stripping down and jumping in the water here, which can be evidently very dangerous depending on the water conditions. Um, you can get swept over those falls and then that's it. You're done, son. <laughs> so it seems like rangers' attempts to police this are just overwhelmed by the sheer number of visitors that are doing that. Um, but just as a reminder, those areas are protected for a number of reasons related to safety and conservation efforts. So whether or not you want to take your own safety into your own hands, um, conservation is also potentially an issue here. So keep that in mind and try to do as little as you can to damage the environment. If you do decide that you're going to risk it and jump in the water here and you get caught by a ranger, you can lose your permit for Half Dome. They don't care if you know you put in for it six months before and, oh my gosh, you were so excited to go. If you break the rules here, they can take your permit. So might not be worth it. Just saying. Um, swimmers do get swept over the falls. It has happened. It's a very quick and exciting way to die. You know, it's, it's protected for a reason. Just be smart. Don't risk your permit. You worked hard to get it. Don't risk it. Then after you get above the falls and pools, the crowds start to thin out and there are some more ambitious day visitors that kind of venture further up there to explore other areas of the Merced River. Um, you kind of start to see people dwindle off as you head up towards those compost toilets at the top. There's a cutback to the JMT near Silver Apron if you feel like cutting back there, or you can continue on the Mist Trail for a little variety and then catch back up to the JMT at the junction above Nevada Falls. There's a set of short rocky switchbacks above the river, and that kind of marks the last section of the Mist Trail before you arrive at the junction and the compost toilets. And that's typically the furthest that a day visitor will go um, past that. It heads up into the wilderness to the Little Yosemite Valley Backpackers Camp. So if you are going to just try to hike Half Dome in a day, the camp's a great spot to take a break to refill. Treat your water if you want to fill up at the river. Um, this part of the river, people do jump in and swim here. It's a good place to cool your feet off. Um, it's a much safer part of the river because you're very far away from the waterfalls at the Little Yosemite Valley Camp. 
And there were plenty of hikers, both day hikers and overnighters, who were taking a quick dip here to cool off and um, kind of re reconnect a little bit with their feet. <laughs> you do have uh, some achy ankles, knees, and feet at this point from those stone steps. Uh, and just if you're day hiking, it's, like I said, a great place to refill water if you brought sanitation tabs and you're out or low. Um uh, or if you didn't fill at the water filling stations down below. And uh, you can kind of take a quick rest before heading up the last few miles. Now, we decided to um, do an overnight at Little Yosemite Valley. This does require a backcountry permit, so make sure you get that. But the backpackers camp here was really pretty. Um, it was very quiet, kind of in the pines. It was a great place. We like to hammock camp whenever we have the opportunity, and it was a great place to have our hammocks set up. And, you know, they, they have bear lockers. You definitely want to use the bear lockers, put all your food in there. Um, there are black, bear, black bears that are pretty prevalent around this area. It was also great to be able to drop most of our equipment. Um, so we put most of our stuff in the bear locker. And then the next day we only took the essentials up to the summit with us, basically carried near empty packs just with food and a couple snacks and a little emergency kit that we carry. But, um, it was great to kind of lock all of our heavier gear in the bear locker before we headed up. Overnight, we really enjoyed this camp. It's a backpackers camp, so it was really quiet and people were respectful. Nobody was up blaring music until midnight. Um, it was just beautiful and quiet and very rustic. You could kind of hear the river in the distance. And um, I don't know, it was just one of the better camps that I have stayed at. And there is a ranger typically present in the campground. They do have compost toilets there. And um, they kind of, the rangers will kind of monitor both human and wildlife activity. And they will check for your permit. So if, if you're getting up early to head up, they, they may check your permit before you head out. There are a lot of squirrels who are not afraid of people. I think backpackers have probably been feeding them for a while. So as my wildlife biologist said, wants to come out and say, like, stop feeding the squirrels, people. <laughs> we had some very brave squirrels that just ran right up to us when we were eating dinner in camp. Um, one little tip is uh, if you are carrying a pack and you're going to just hang it off a tree branch or something overnight versus putting it in the bear locker fully, make sure that uh, you leave your pack fairly open. A mouse or a squirrel can absolutely chew through your pack to get into it, but if you leave it open, they can just pop in, check for any food stuff, and pop out and leave. Um, it's just a little tip that somebody told me a long time ago and makes a lot of sense. They will always find a way in, but if you make it easy for them to get in and out and not find anything, they'll just pop in and pop out. Make sure you shake your pack out before you leave so you don't carry any stowaways. If you are using a hammock, make sure your straps are sufficiently protective to not damage the trees. They do, it looked like they logged some of these trees at times, um, or at least they were coming through and cutting some down here and there but make sure that you don't damage the trees. Like I said, it's a perfect spot for a uh, hammock system. Um, the weather can be pretty variable. Always check the forecast. The ranger station always has the forecast. And we had a pretty good 
uh, signal, cell signal all the way up. I think we were at least on 4G all the way up to the top. So I can't swear that that'll be your experience if you go, but that was our experience as we had 4G in camp and at the top of Half Dome. All right, now for summit day. We had a nice overnight, got some good sleep. Um, if you are targeting a sunrise summit, which I highly recommend because it's less busy, uh, you should probably get up between 3 and 4 a.m. or about three to three and a half hours before sunrise, depending on the time of year and the incline hiking speed that you have. Faster hikers, obviously, like you can always maybe sleep in a little bit if, uh, if you want to risk not catching sunrise or if that's important to you. Um, morning gear grab, make sure you get water, snacks, and your half dome permit, don't forget it. You can have your electronic copy, always a great idea to have a paper copy as well. Rangers will be checking and will turn you away if you can't produce a permit. Um, leaving a permit at camp kind of doesn't count. Uh, you, they, they don't care, they want to see it when they ask for it. So you better have it. And the summit is about three and a half miles or 5.6 kilometers from camp and it inclines through the forest on a variety of kind of rocky, sandy and hard packed terrain. Make sure you grab your, grab your headlamp in the morning to throw that on because the rocks can be a little bit tricky, especially in the dark or pre-dawn light. And make sure you take your bear spray. This area is pretty heavy with bears, so keep that handy. And they will attempt to steal your picnic baskets. So you're going to head up from the camp. There's a few switchbacks on kind of some rocky and dirt terrain. And then at about 1.3 miles or about 2 kilometers from the camp trailhead, the JMT splits to the east. And then the Half Dome Trail heads north. This is pretty clearly marked with a big sign, so just make sure you're looking for it. Um, after you clear out of the tree line, be faced with the Sub Dome climb. So this section goes up rocky granite steps and switchbacks before arriving at the base of the cables. So the Sub Dome section is pretty grueling, and I, my personal opinion, if you did it in the full sun, you'd get dehydrated pretty quickly. Uh, you just have that sun reflecting off of the granite at you. So just making sure you take plenty of water and electrolytes as well as sun protection if you're going to be going in midday or late day. For sun, sunrise, it was perfect because it, this was like our pre-dawn light. It was beautiful. Kind of the granite was glistening a little bit, um, a little bit moonlit. It was It was really just beautiful to hike this area in the early pre-dawn light. All right, through that granite climb, you're gonna to come to a series of switchbacks which kind of melt into sort of an open field meandering along the rock. Like there's not really a clear trail along part of that section. And then you'll see the cables and that'll kind of help guide which direction you need to go. Just always watch your footing. And then uh, you reach the base of the cables. Uh, People kind of stow the bulk of their gear there, kind of drop their packs and take just the minimum. There is sometimes a used a pile of used gloves that hang out near the base of the cables, but you should never rely on that. Always bring your own gloves. Um, we just use really thin like hiking gloves, or you can use like equestrian gloves or the thin stretchy gardening gloves. Those are perfectly fine. You also just, it's kind of gross and littering to leave gloves behind. So 
The rangers also take them away at times, so you can't count on them being there. And the idea of wearing the thin, stretchy gloves, uh, usually with a little grip on them, is those cables can sometimes have little protruding wires that kind of break off and might, like, stab you in the hand a little bit. Uh, The bigger issue is that if it's really cold out, those cables are very, very cold. And if it's really hot out, those cables are very, very hot. And they're kind of the first thing to heat up. So even with us going early in the morning, they were already starting to warm up. And I'm really glad that we had gloves. So super important point, and I kind of touched on this at the very beginning. The cables are supported by these uh, vertical steel posts that are set into divots that are drilled into the granite. They are supported by steel posts that are set into divots, drilled into the granite. So the safety implications of that and why I inflicted on those words is nothing is really holding those posts into the granite. So if you are or someone around you is going up the cables and they pull up on the cables or those posts, they will come out of the face of the rock. So the idea is to push down on the cables as you're going and try your best to not pull up. Regarding lightning on Half Dome, there's major signage and information on how dangerous it is to attempt the cables in a lightning storm or in heavy rain when the rock gets really slick. And uh, we, we were joking that it's kind of Darwinism in action to try to go up the dome in a lightning storm holding on to steel cables. It's just not a good idea. And if it gets bad enough, the rangers will shut you down and pull everybody off. So the other piece I kind of noted about the cables and pulling up on them, some people can get freaked out, like whether or not they're able to face forward and just focus on the hike, they, they can get freaked out by the heights or the potential for falling here. So just have some grace for people. And for the love of all that is holy, do not pull up. Do not pull up on the cables because the last thing anybody wants to be doing is trying to repair cable structure while there's like a hundred other hikers clinging on to stuff and freaking out around you. So just please do not pull up. Um, They also do place kind of wooden planks against some of the posts in the steepest sections, but sometimes those get pulled off or go flying down the mountain. So don't, Don't expect those to always be in place and sufficient, Um, but try to not shift those wooden planks like as much as you can. Just keep straightforward downward pressure and not try to shift side to side because you don't want to send a plank flying down at someone behind you. Uh, A good idea is to pause, brace a foot at the junction of a post and a board with some downward pressure And if you need to take a break there, that can give you an opportunity to kind of brace yourself and breathe. And then um, just making sure that you keep that downward pressure as you push off and uh, don't displace that wooden plank. And, you know, some climbers and hikers who have the physical capability and the lack of any nervousness or fear with heights or falling may be able to, like, practically run up and down the cable section and... Just wanting to call out to those hikers, you guys are awesome, you're phenoms, but there's other people who are trying to experience this who could be freaking out. Just have some grace for them. Um, 
and try your best not to panic them. They may be struggling with the incline or a fear of heights. And um, if you are one of those people who is slower or struggling, just find good spots to kind of pull off to the side to let the faster climbers pass safely. This is not one of those first one to the red light type situations. Have some grace for each other. If you're slower, step off to the side, brace yourself, let the faster climber go by. Faster climbers, call out when you're coming, make sure that the person ahead of you is aware and ask them politely to step to the side so that you can get by. Just remember this is a potentially dangerous section of the hike and you need to take not only your safety into account, but the safety of those around you. Basically, just don't be a jerk on the cables one way or another. And if you run into somebody who's being a jerk, you know what? You're going to get to the top eventually. Um, just try to stay patient, stay calm, and uh, have some grace that they might be going through something leveling on a freak out in their mind. Uh, the path is pretty well worn. It maintains kind of a two-way traffic pattern. So going up the cables, uphill hikers should keep to the right. Downhill hikers should descend on the uphill left. If a hiker is descending, you know, take a moment to pause the ascent and uh, let the descender pass down safely in heavy traffic. It can take up to an hour to ascend the cables. So opting for a light traffic time of day is preferable. If you have any anxiety, it's, it's a good idea to go when there's not going to be a whole bunch of people around you. Most hikers do not opt for a safety harness on the cable, and there are only a couple of sections that I'll say truly feel steep enough to warrant a safety harness if you're fit and you have good balance. Um, if you are opting to use safety equipment, the best recommendation I found was a Via Ferrata setup versus a potentially dangerous homemade strap and carabiner. This is not the time to bust out a cheapo carabiner that's been hanging out in your camping equipment for the last 20 years. They're, they're not to be trusted on this. Um, and don't let the idea of having a safety rig fool you into a false sense of security. Uh, each step should be taken as if you don't have a safety rig. From my experience, like, this is not recommended. I did have, like, a high-quality rock climbing carabiner set up that I used it, it was more because I have bad ankles and my biggest fear was kind of slipping and falling down a little ways and like taking out someone behind me. <laughs> so it was more to like just catch myself a little bit if I did fall um, again. Like it's not necessary in most sections, but some people for their own sense of comfort want to have that. But if you're going to do that, a Via Ferrata setup is the ideal. When you look up, it can look pretty daunting. Um, it, I'll say, looks more intimidating than it felt as I was going up. Uh, the cables kind of extend up a very steep face. They disappear over the top of a little crest. And the first section doesn't really feel too steep. It kind of feels like you can get used to holding the cables and how to move effectively between the post sections and get comfortable with it. And then towards the middle, there is a steep section. That, that section will test your ankle mobility and your grip strength. This is where if you get those gloves, make sure they're the kind that have some grippies on the palms. And for me, coming back down that steep section, I kind of turned around and faced the rock 
um, so that I could get a better sense of balance. I, I tend to fall forward, so I'd rather fall forward onto the rock face a foot in front of my face versus falling forward onto the rock face six feet in front of my face. <laughs> so I turned around and kind of took it backwards, like coming down a ladder in that steep section and then turned back around for the lower section. For me, because I do have that bit of fear of falling, um, I did my best to not look down. I just focused on the rock face and what was above me and coming. Um, so just focusing on your next step. And it is necessary if you are using a via ferrata or a safety harness um, to detach, attach between posts. So kind of a clip, clip clip, clip. There you go. Like as you go, you get kind of a groove going and it's best done by taking a second to confirm that your feet and balance are secure against a poster board, then transfer your connections. Um, and it kind of becomes rhythmic when you narrow your focus and, you know, you reach that crest towards the top, uh, and it almost comes so quickly that it's surprising. So after you get through that steep section, you hit a more level section and then you're near the summit and you can kind of just chill out, come off the cables and enjoy the last walk up to that incredible view overlooking the Yosemite Valley. Uh, the view from the peak and the accomplishment of summiting Half Dome was like incredible. Um, it's something a lot of people will never experience in life. So if you get the opportunity to do it, I think you absolutely should. Uh, if you're comfortable with the heights situation, or even if you're not, do something that makes you a little uncomfortable. And you should you should spend some time at the summit kind of reflecting on and enjoying your achievement. Uh, the panorama of the valley is just incredible. You're so tired. You're pretty adrenaline-laced from coming off of those cables. And it's just nice to, like, sit down, absorb the view, break out a snack, and lay back on the granite, enjoy the sun heating you up, and uh, just relax and keep an eye on the horizon for any approaching thunderstorms because that can happen quickly out there. We did a little stretching, a little yoga. Um, we actually did a little Facebook Live from the top, or not Facebook Live, we did a little Instagram Live from the top of Half Dome because we had such a good connection. So I started a little live up there just to give everybody kind of the live action view of what was going on, which was really cool. And um, one of the things I'll say, we saw a few other climbers that were up there that early and just be wary of the edges. Um, you can kind of lose balance a little bit. You're tired, your adrenaline pumped and people try to get a shot near the edge and kind of stumble and just be, be cautious of the edges because they can kind of just come up out of nowhere as you're walking around the top of Half Dome. Um, be careful taking selfies for that reason, just to make sure you are well situated and more focused on where your feet are versus what is in your frame on your camera. But it was beautiful up there, just hanging out, the wind kind of whipping around and cooling you off, doing a little yoga to stretch out and spending a good amount of time at the top to just enjoy the accomplishment. Uh, we did try to keep an eye on the cables below us to see when, you know, more people were starting to gather on the subdome so that we could kind of get down before the crowds started to build up on the cables. 
you should try to begin your descent well before any storms move into the area. Remember, like, the summit is part of it, but you still have to get down. And going down the cables, in my opinion, felt more treacherous than going up. Um, like I said, during that steepest part, I had to turn around and go down like a ladder. That just felt safer to me. Um, some people might be able to just run down half down. That is not me. That is not my experience. If you are coming down and there are upward bound hikers, just remember to um, have some grace and make sure they feel safe and comfortable stepping off to the side to let you pass. Uh, if you are coming down and you're one of those people who can go quickly and you want to go down the middle of the cables and uh, the people in front of you are going slower, make sure you talk to them, make sure you call out, or just wait and enjoy your descent at the pace of the person ahead of you. Um, trying to pass someone going down and scaring them, if you just decide you're going to run past them, it could freak them out and cause them to fall and get hurt or kind of create a snowball effect down the cables. Um, so just, again, don't be a jerk on the cables. And the hike back down to camp, it's, it's an opportunity to enjoy all that scenery that you may have missed on the way up. I know um, I have a habit when I'm on a steep incline track to kind of focus on the ground in front of me. And I feel like I miss a lot of the scenery and we kind of have to stop and take a look around and enjoy it from time to time. But going back down can be a good chance to kind of look up and around you and enjoy the scenery. Um, the subdome section, again, that was where we had those big granite steps. You want to make sure you take your time. Uh, the steps are all different heights and sizes and it's, it can be very awkward if you have bad knees or hips or um, any joint issues. So just taking your time to get down there. And, um, you know, always try to cheer on the uphill hikers. Let them know they're almost there. I think that that's uh, a fun part of hiking is kind of the camaraderie that we all get out there. And just letting folks know they're almost there and, you know, kind of help with maybe any anxiety they might have. Um, they might have questions to ask you, try to be kind and answer questions as best you can. People may have some anxiety and just wanna know a little bit more about what they're about to get into on the cables. Um, they may be asking you like, oh, how many people are stacked up there? Or what are the conditions like at the top? Um, it's good just to keep a good camaraderie on the trail. Uh, uphill hikers do have the right of way, remember that. So stepping off to the side to allow them to maintain momentum is basic trail etiquette. Again, don't be a jerk. <laughs> there can be some sections of softer footing in that subdome area or like scree that when you're going down can cause you to slide. Just be really aware of that because there are some areas where you get close to an edge that can be a little dangerous. There's also some roots and such. Um, the other thing we ran into was some uphill hikers who are trying to just go to the top without a permit. Some of them may ask to borrow a permit, like, hey, can I just borrow your permit and go up and then, uh, like, you're already done with it, right? No, you're not. You are not done with your permit that you waited for and paid for and did all the things for. Uh, we actually got permit checked on our hike down about four miles down from Half Dome. A ranger saw all of our gear and us hiking and was like, oh, did you summit today? And we're like, yeah, it was great. And then, can I see your permit? <laughs> oh, yeah, good thing we still had it and didn't give it to these folks that were begging us for it. Um, as much as you want to be a nice guy, like, you're a nice girl, like, 
it's not worth you getting in trouble because they couldn't get a permit. It's a little bit of too bad, so sad. No, protect your permit. The hike down is beautiful, like all the way back down to camp. It's really pretty. We saw a black bear. Um, we we kind of, you know, lots of wildlife out there. It was just really pretty. Um, lots of happy hikers who are excited to go hit their summit, who are going to ask you questions on the way. At camp, we grabbed our gear, refilled our water, um, ate our lunch, and then headed back down the JMT. Uh, again, we took the JMT the whole way back versus going down the mist trail and all those crazy stairs. Um, passed through Nevada Falls, which was beautiful area and more illegal bathing, potentially getting swept down the falls. So that's a little scary to me. Again, that whole fear of falling. I don't like it. And then you'll gradually see more and more and more people as you go down the JMT. It'll kind of become a crush at one point. And I don't know, just for us, like, Again, we got the side-eye weird looks uh, as we came down. Just people kind of looking at us. You know, they're covered in sunscreen and smelling all fresh and laundry just done. And we uh, definitely smelled like we had just come off of summiting Half Dome. <laughs> but we kind of take some pride in that. So that's fine. Uh, just delight in your own shabbiness at that point. Yeah, so we got back to the car after, like, kind of fighting through the crowds. And, you know, we, we have a habit of we'll always have a cold drink waiting in the cooler for us in the car. Um, and then there are a couple of restaurants or lodges around the park that you can get a hot meal. Or what we did after asking that ranger who asked for our permit a few miles past our summit, we asked the ranger, what is the best place to eat just outside the park? And we were headed up to um, Lee Vining, which is north of the park. And uh, she was like, believe it or not, the best place to eat in Lee Vining is the Wonelli Deli at the Mobile Gas Station. And no kidding, this place was amazing. Uh, evidently, it was, I think the story was that it was a chef from San Francisco who kind of retired out to the Yosemite area near Lee Vining and wanted to open a restaurant, but was running around in circles with the county trying to get all the licensing and permitting and California made it like impossible for him to like do this effectively. And so instead, I guess it's legal to sell food out of a gas station with much less licensing and permitting, which I have questions around that. But he bought a gas station and basically turned the entire back half of it into this amazing restaurant. We got bison meatloaf, the best damn fish tacos I think I've ever had in my life. And then the next morning, we actually went back and got a ribeye and eggs and split that for breakfast. It was it was absolutely amazing food. So the Wonelli Deli in Levining is an amazing place to eat if you're headed out of the park. We had a little hotel that kind of overlooked Mono Lake, which is one of the oldest in North America. It was really cool. They had um, these cool mineral deposits kind of looked like hoodoos on the lake it was really neat but yeah it was uh, a great experience I, I think half dome for any serious hiker is a great accomplishment and it's one of those kind of bucket list hikes here in North America that I am so glad that I did I would actually probably do it again that was a really fun hike and going up the cables was something that I had a lot of nerves about and it was a great thing to overcome. You know, you should do something difficult every day. And 
that was kind of my something difficult for me. Maybe it's not difficult for other people, but for me, with my fear of falling, it was it was a really great accomplishment to do and to do it in the most beautiful setting that one can imagine overlooking the Yosemite Valley. So yeah, if you're interested in Half Dome, I hope that this helped give you a better idea of what to expect on that hike. A glorious experience, and I think every serious hiker here should do it. Thanks for listening. 